good to see all of you. And um, as I said, I am here because my house is full of family members. We celebrated my dad's 80th birthday uh, yesterday. And uh, how it was, and he is doing fantastic, healthy. And um, so we're really blessed uh, to have had that moment with everyone. Um, and this morning, <clears throat> we're going to continue in our series that we began in the book of Mark. And I'm calling this, Your Faith Has Made You Well. Your Faith Has Made You Well. Take I put it in the chat there, Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 43. Mark 5, 21 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side, a lo- uh, to, to, uh, to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And one of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when Jesus, or when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. The woman, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house. God leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, what, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but they laughed at him. And he put them all out and took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kum, which means little girl, I say to you. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. 
So this story follows the same sort of structure that we've been going through, which is the structure of uh, tragedy, comedy, and fairy tale. Tragedy and fairy tale. And so it begins with the tragedy. The tragedy is what? We have two of them. We have the story of Jairus's daughter who is sick and she's about to die. And then we have the tragedy of been subject to bleeding uh, for 12 years without cure and has spent so much uh, money on doctors and still no cure. And so this is a difficult situation. Both situations are extraordinary. Don't have an answer in the ancient world. There's no answer for what do you do when you've done everything you can You've got resources. Presumably both of them did. So Jairus, Jairus had resources. He was uh, wealthy. And this woman somehow had resources as well. Because doctors. Both have done everything they can within their power, within their means to solve a problem. But yet they can't solve this problem by ordinary means. And so this is what the tragedy is. It's like, I can, nothing can be done. And I'm watching this bad thing happen and ultimately lead to Jairus's daughter's case, death. And for this woman, impending death, at some point, she would, she would pass on, probably from this illness. But one of the details that's really important to, to note before we dive into um, the, these three sections um, is that there's um, a, a, a there's that the ancients used, which was when they wanted to say something of significance, they had several different literary devices. They've used, they used quite a few, but one of the popular ones was to actually put something really, a very major point they wanted to make in the middle of a story. And so oftentimes even entire books of the Bible are written where the center of the book is actually the, 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 the point, the crescendo, if you will. In this case, it's very much that way. You have the story of Jairus coming to Jesus and asking for him to come to his house to heal his daughter, and there's an interruption. There's an interruption on the way, and the author, cleverly putting the story together, um, I'm sure it was a story that, had, that was pretty universally known. Everybody had heard about this. But, but Mark is bringing attention to this story and he's editing it in such a way to make the point that notice what happens here. There are two characters, two stories of tragedy. Both are healed, but there's something in the middle that stands out that's you're supposed to be caught by this event that takes place. And it is this moment where Jesus has been in this crowd, in this procession, and hundreds of people are all around him, and they're pressing in on him, they're touching him, and the disciples were acting as bodyguards, which were just to keep the crowds at least somewhat away, you know, from Jesus being crushed, and yet hands are touching him all the time. Now, picture this in your mind. Maybe an hour has gone by, Jesus is walking, and he, obviously because the crowds are in front of him and behind him and to the side of him. And moving slowly towards Jairus's house. And the crowds are all around him and pressing him and touching him. And sometime along 
after hundreds and hundreds of touches, Jesus turns around at this moment and says, who touched me? Now, the storyteller, in that moment, it may have been funny. Nobody seemed to find it funny, at least we're not seeing that in the story. But the storyteller who's, who's recounting this, his audience would have had a moment of laughter. This was comedic, like something you would some of the tension because all these people are pressing in against you. They want something from you. And then finally, Jesus, you know, could have said, hey, stop touching me. You know, or, or in this case, you know, who touched me? And that would have shocked a lot of people, like some chuckles, maybe some laughter. And so this is the comedy part. Who touched me? Right? He turns to this woman uh, who identifies herself as the one who touched him. And she had faith. If she could just touch his, his cloak, she would be healed. Right? And Jesus turns to her and says, your faith has made you well. Right? Your faith has healed you. And, and, and it's interesting here because you might have assumed that Jesus would say, your faith in me has made you well. Or I healed you by you touching the cloak, by touching my cloak. But he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't bring attention to himself. And this is very consistent. Someone might say, well, you might be stretching this, Joel, because still she had faith in Jesus and so on, but stay with it, because this is consistent with the Gospels, where Jesus is always kind of pushing off the crowd, praise and worship, and kind of trying to reduce himself almost, like pull himself back. He oftentimes, Mark actually, frequently cites him as calling himself the son of man, not the son of God, which is to say, of saying the human one, very much human, like you. And so Jesus says, your faith has made you well. And the object now is her. She had made Jesus the object. I have a problem, solution. And clearly Jesus had been the solution to a lot of problems. Jairus certainly thought so, and Jairus would experience that, right? So this is subject-object distinction, and there's some uh, literary work that's been done around this. Uh, well, it's been done in a lot of fields, but it's been done in, um, in theology as well. So God is the object, and or Jesus in this case is the object. You are the object, I'm the subject, I need something from you that you have So by way of, of, of elaborating a little bit on this a little bit more, there's a um, bumper sticker, and I don't know if this is a national advertising uh, piece by the uh, Catholic organization, but uh, this bumper sticker shows up in a lot of places. Advertising a radio station, 1060, um, here in uh, Massachusetts. And, uh, and the bumper sticker just simply says this, try God. And, um, and I, I understand completely what the, the, you know, what, what's being conveyed by um, and I think it's a positive message, but, um, but it's interesting to me that Christians oftentimes see it that way. And it does make me laugh a little bit because when I think about it, it's sort of like, you have a headache, try Tylenol. Oh, you're cooking some steak, great spicy mix. Try that. Oh, you have a knee problem. Try therapy, right? So it's this sort of like, you don't have something and that something is outside of yourself that you 
Now, for some of us who've had addictions in this group and who have struggled with, you know, uh, breaking those addictions, there have been times where you've had to actually look outside of yourself for help. Like, whatever's happening here is not working. And you have to sometimes break out of that. But the goal is not for you to break out to go into somewhere else to stay there, but it's to return to your life and to return to who you are and to return to your work, your true self, and to do the thing on planet Earth to do. And that's what Jesus is modeling. This is what I'm here. I'm here to do the thing that is mine to do, and you're here to do the thing that is yours to do. And so Jesus takes this object-subject uh, way of looking at him as he's the object and they're the subject and they're coming to me and he puts it back on her and makes her the object. Your faith, dear woman, well, not my faith. Yeah, but I touched the hem of your garment and if it, it was there, it was that. No, no, no. Your faith has made you well. The, to the attention goes back to her. And much of the worship and worship songs in the evangelical world, charismatic world, they're beautiful, they're moving, I love them a lot. But there's sometimes this sort of hero worship that happens. Jesus, you're everything I need. Jesus, Jesus, I just need you. I just need you. I don't need any more of me. Repress me, deny me, avoid me, and go to Jesus. But whoever that is, it's still object, and the object is in the formation of my imagination. What do I imagine? you like. So I'm still going out to this imagination of what I have of who Jesus is, hoping that whatever that is, it'll be better than me. So sometimes that imagination then takes on the form of a church or of a religion, or a person, a pastor or a priest. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to actually see if I can get what they have because I'm missing something. Now, I don't want to say that that isn't ever true. It is, it is sometimes so emphasized that the other side, which is the solution, is also present within you. And that's much of the message that Jesus also preached, where people were saying, where's the kingdom of heaven? On him, as the one who was trying to build his own brand as Messiah, to then say, oh, I'm the purveyor of that kingdom. I'm, it's, it's right here. I got it. I got the answers for you. But Jesus almost never does that. And instead, he and says the kingdom of heaven is among you. It's there. It's in you. It's among you. It's not in me alone. It's among you. The solution is present within you. Right? This, was, this was why it was so off-putting to, the, to those who, who made money off of being in positions of power controlling religion. Imagine that. That's why he is such a subversive character. It's because no, 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 wants to control this. They have all the truth and you've got to come to me. I, I'm, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And by Jesus saying, no, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm you, I'm the son of man. It's the truth is among you, present within you. You are part of God. God is a part of you. And it's on you as well as it's on this God. It's a, it's a collaboration. And the more that we can understand 
that we will experience, and many of you have experienced this already, that the solution rises up oftentimes through you. And yet we say, oh, it wasn't me, it was God. Well, if it was God, it would be much better than the way you executed it. So, no, it was you. It was you with God. But your humanity is always present as well. So we'll never be perfect. But maybe it isn't supposed to be. Maybe it's more than the performance, the doing, the moving forward. And so this moment of comedy is, oh, you have a problem? This within you, you have that as well. But, but I'm the problem, Jesus. I'm the problem. Yes, and you're also the solution. Because if you can believe that and tune back in to Christ, right? If you think I'm preaching heresy, listen to what Paul the Apostle says in Colossians. This mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ, namely this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not Christ outside of you. Not Christ in in the temple, not Christ in this sanctuary where I'm standing here right now, not Christ in Joel, not Christ in Jim, but Christ, certainly not Christ in Jim, but, but Christ in you. That's the hope, he says, of glory. It's Christ in you, Christ in me. You are both the problem, yes, <laughs> and you are the solution but not outside of God. In fact, the more that you tune into this and understand that it's Christ within you, you get to experience more of Christ than ever before. As long as you think it's the object that is out there that I've got to go find, that it's Christ outside of me, somewhere else, you will forever be chasing that thing and never acquiring it. But it is here. You have everything you need right here and right now. Finally, the story turns into fairy tale, tragedy. Two people who have desperate needs. Comedy, you're the solution. Your faith has made you well. Fairy tale, surprisingly, she does become well. She is healed. I think of... Um, Times where I personally and um, by, by someone, right? That's the way I, I told the story anyways. And I told the story to myself is that that person is the reason why I'm hurting. And I would have this narrative going on and uh, I would become more bitter and uh, have these secret vengeful thoughts that I would not overtly carry out, but subvertly try to kind of make them feel the pain that they caused me. It wasn't that I hated them necessarily, but I was. And, uh, and so I would uh, try and hope for some sort of justification, some sort of, I, I hope that they could come to understand just how wrong they were. That, then all will be well. I will feel better. My pain somehow will be justified. And, and many people have experienced the same thing as I have. Many of you have. And, and there's this, uh, and, and it just keeps 
comes a point and, it, and I've had these moments where I finally got to the place where I said, I'm, I'm done with this. Like I, whatever this is, it's not working. It's not making me happier. It's affecting my family. And, um, and, and maybe it's time to, to bury the hatchet. Maybe it's time to forget. And so I would uh, get to that moment where I could. It wasn't that the pain went away completely, but there was a greater desire for restoration. There was a greater desire for healing. There was a greater desire to just be at peace. So I would forget. And when I did, I would find that maybe nothing circumstantially changed, but something inside me changed. And then in time, some of the, even the relationships changed. Not all, but got better. There was healing. And this is the way it works. Because when we move in faith and we say, this is the better path for me. Forgiveness is the better That it's our faith in that moment that makes us well. It isn't that I seek the judge to make sure that I'm justified, exonerated, that I'm proven right and someone else is proven wrong. It's the faith that I actually have for me. And there's a better path for you. And that ultimately, I just want to be in a relationship, back in relationship, in some sort of peaceful relationship with other people. For some of you, it's been alcohol. Do it, and, and you struggle with it, and you're battled with it, and you fought it, and finally you get to a place. And at first, maybe for a while, maybe for years, you just sort of had a, a reasoning for it. You know, it's just, I'm trying to get rid of the pain that's internal. Um, I'm angry, pain, or and it's been a way to sort of get rid of these ugly feelings, maybe shame about yourself, maybe anger, maybe whatever it was. It was just a way to feel, uh, feel a little less, a little less pain. And so you try to get rid of it. But then at some point you realized it wasn't, it wasn't working as well as it should. And your faith caused you to begin to move forward to say, I'm going to end this cycle. I'm going to end alcoholism one way or the other. And it wasn't driven just by fear. It wasn't just driven by, uh, I want to do the right thing. It was guided by something inside of you that's know that there's a better path for me. I know that there's something better that there's even, I had one client tell me, you know, Joel, I went, I, I, I just gave up alcohol all together. And I have, found I am doing so much more with my time than I did before. And I feel like I'm ready to begin to contribute. And she just recently got her degree and has begun to work now uh, with people um, who are. Uh, and, um, uh, and, and she is, she asked me for a reference letter this past week, and I was so excited to write it to say, yes, 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 yes. And so everything has begun to change in her life because she put, said, no, this has got to be a better way. Her faith has made her well. And so for all of us, the question this morning I leave us with is, in what places are you seeing your faith? You're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to begin to move forward. You know, as you think about what's happening with COVID-19, with the fall coming, 
it's the, the, the political stuff that's happening in our country. I don't know what else to call it, stuff that's happening. Um, and it's making many of us emotionally sick, traumatic, what we've gone through. And we might be looking for the, a change of administration because that's, that's where the hope lies. The object, of our, the object of our transformation is out there. And it's, it's uh, maybe faith is rising within you to say, no, it's, it's actually within me. It's within me. I can do something. Change what's happening on a global scale or on a national scale. But I can change what's happening in me. I can change what's happening in my world. This woman who had been bleeding for years undoubtedly was enormously tempted, far more tempted to just be alone, remain outside. The risks that she took and everything that was stacked against her was here's a woman who in the ancient Jewish world was unclean and should not be near people and touching people, particularly not even, you know. And yet she gets up and begins to move forward by faith and touches Jesus. Jesus turns to her and says, Woman, <laughs> the fact that you're your house decide to get up step one decide to go against all the odds and push through the crowds despite your physical weakness woman despite having this this problem that if anybody found out or anybody knew would have uh, would have punished you for being unclean and touching all these people and despite all of this you pushed all the way through that's faith I see the result is your healing, right? So this morning, you and I can do more, maybe than we ever imagined we could. Maybe we can heal. Maybe we can do something in this world. Maybe there's within you to face this world. I think that's what Jesus always had this problem with. Not a problem, but like a challenge to his, people, to, to his disciples and to others. Why is your faith so small? Like, are you awake to the rep to that? Your faith, not about it, me, not about all this other stuff. It's about your faith. And if you see that, you can change the world too. And so I leave you with that this morning. So uh, spend some time in worship and in reflection.